Hello and welcome to Truth Talks, brought to you by South African author, theologian and church leader, Dr. Christopher Pepler. Over the years, the expression, the moment of truth, has been applied to several events, ranging from school-leaving exams to ESCOM's demise, ESCOM, the power utility here in South Africa, and so on. But more recently, some of the media companies have picked it up as a slogan for the May 2019 national elections, which are just a few days from now. Now, an apology up front to my international listeners. I'm going to be talking about local interest matters of South Africa, but I'm sure that there will be some application and some principles which which you'll find interesting and can apply, but it's essentially for South African locals. So with the elections looming, will there be a moment of truth for the nation of South Africa? Well, probably not. You know, in all probability, the, everybody will go and vote, whoever's going to vote, and the ruling party, who's been in power for 25 years, will almost undoubtedly win with a, a good, solid majority and so on. So the real question is, what will happen in the next few years? Because whichever party is in power and whatever coalitions are formed and so on, whoever it is will be faced with a series of moments of truth, many of them. Things like, will they deal decisively and severely with the men, women and companies who have brought our country economically and socially to our knees? Will they follow through on their great campaign promises and actually deliver the regeneration we as a nation need? My view is that whatever the post-May political scenario will be, the post-election political scenario, Nothing short of a Jesus-centered, Holy Spirit revival will save our nation in both the long term and the short term. Whatever changes government makes in the future will take a long time to implement. I'm thinking 10 years before we can actually get back on on a real profitable basis as a nation. But for the nation to really change, the hearts of the citizens, us folk who live here, must change first. You see, national reformation plans are good enough and organized Christian movements and whatever are fine, but words and plans and ideas are just not enough in these times of crisis. We need a genuine move of God. I must tell you, I'm not a naturally optimistic person, but I am optimistic about our national future. You see, over the last eight years now, I've become acutely aware that revival, genuine revival, genuine Holy Spirit, Jesus-centered revival is a distinct possibility for us in our time, in our churches, in our nation. Not just something created and man-made, not just looking back to the great events of the past, like Azusa Street, the Welsh Revival, the Hebrides Revivals, and so on. No, I've become convinced that we too can experience revival. Now, in addition to this, the events at the political front and the economic front over the last two years have actually encouraged me. Oh yeah, there's been a lot of bad stuff going on over the last two years, but there's been some light On the 5th of April 2017, so that's two years ago, 
I published an article which I called The Worm Has Been Turned. And I followed that up 20 days later with an article called A Nation Reborn in a Day? And I think it's worth repeating here at this juncture, just before these elections. It's worth repeating the predictions I made. Well, you know, they weren't so much predictions as thought-out projections of what I saw was coming over the next two years. And we are at that place. We are now two years down the track. I wrote, The light of truth will shine in the darkness of our government, and we will see and hear one leader after another speaking out against corruption, greed, arrogance, and national theft. Well, we've seen that. One by one, the stalwarts, the, um, the, the people loyal to the country and government started to speak out. And it's become a cacophony across the nation. All the political parties have been jumping on the same bandwagon. We've got to reform. We've got to stamp out corruption. And that's happened over the last two years. second thing I wrote was, the ruling party will continue to polarize and fragment into competing factions before our eyes. And we've seen that. In fact, that is still the greatest danger to our national unity. The ruling party has a 60%, maybe plus 60% majority. And it's fragmented. Not only is it splitting, it has two main factions. There are the folk who want to pull the country back into the dark ages of corruption and tribal rule. And then there are the other breed who are coming through, who are saying, no, we must get back to our real values, the real values we've always stood for. And we must take our country forward and we must deal decisively with corruption. And the two are fighting a not-so-silent battle with themselves right before our eyes. The third thing I wrote was, economic conditions will continue to deteriorate as the nation is paralyzed by the political struggle gripping its throat. We've seen that. Oh, there have been projections of growth rates which have never materialized. We battle. We have high unemployment, growing unemployment. We have deteriorating situations. We have massively high fuel rates, fuel levies and so on. And we have a pitifully small growth rate. That's true, but it doesn't mean that there's not hope for the future. The, The next thing I wrote was, the powers of evil in our nation will most likely attack the church and accuse them of siding with foreign influences, betraying elected leadership of the nation, and so on. And yes, that is that has happened. Uh, certainly quite early on in the process, there was many attempts to try and discredit the church. But more recently, the church has been trying to discredit itself. But when I say the church, I mean only aspects of the church, fringe elements of the church. So there have been lots of nonsense going on by un- unqualified church leaders, who have managed through charisma and false promises to gain huge congregations. And and that's been damaging the church. So we've kind of been scoring own goals, I think, maybe more than the uh, political powers have been attacking. And then the last thing was, the churches across our nations will swell with countless numbers of people seeking truth, hope and love. And we've seen that. For the last two years, the churches have been growing. The congregation sizes have been growing. New churches have been springing up because the people of the nation have become aware that we need God. We need His power. We need His reviving strength. Now, as I mentioned, these were not predictions. 
honestly, they weren't prophetic words. They were just reasoned projections. But when we look back, it gives us hope because we can tick these boxes and say, God has been at work for the last two years. Therefore, why can we not believe that he'll be even more at work in the years that lie ahead? Yes, in some respects, things have got worse. Unemployment, as I mentioned, the power supply, economic growth rates, and so on. But in other respects, things have improved. Why? Because the light of Christ is shining powerfully and continues to shine powerfully into all aspects of our national life. And revival is surely at last right at the door. Isaiah wrote this in chapter 60, verses 1 and 2. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord rises upon you. See, darkness covers the earth, and thick darkness is over the peoples. But the Lord rises upon you, and his glory appears over you. Yes. Revival, it's always about revival, isn't it? It's always about coming back to God and His presence and His empowerment. So because of this, I've published a short book which I've entitled The Twelve Key Aspects of Revival. And I'm making it free to anybody who wants it. I don't know how long the free offer will go on for, but right now, in the foreseeable future, it is absolutely free with no strings attached to it whatsoever. If you would like to obtain a copy of that, all you have to do is get onto my website, and the website's address is as follows. Truth is the word, that's one word, all joined together, one word, truthistheword.com. And you'll see at the top there's a free offer of the book. You can click that, or you can move halfway down the page, and then there's details about that book, the revival book, and you can click there and get a totally free PDF download for yourself. I look forward to the results of our May elections with great interest, but I look forward to the months to follow with more than interest. I look forward with faith and with hope. You know, the best thing we as ordinary citizens can do right now in our nation is to pray and to ask God to send revival to our nation and then to vote, to exercise our democratic right, our our privilege as citizens our obligation as citizens to put our X against the party that we believe is what we have been led by God Almighty to support and to stand behind in these times. Let me end with 1 Corinthians 2 verse 9. No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. Well, after a bit of a layoff, my daughter Corin is, is back in a moment to ask me some questions with her usual candor. So uh, I don't know exactly what questions she's proposing, but uh, I'm sure they're going to be quite fun to interact and to answer. Hope you enjoy it. Hey, Daddy. How you doing? Wow, it's been a long time. I've forgotten how I annoyed myself with the sound of my own voice. Oh, I'm doing fine. How are you? I'm fine. I'm and you don't annoy Good. me with your sound of your voice. I'm looking forward to our <laughs> chat. Good. We want to talk about your last post, which was about revival and the upcoming elections. Yes. Um, called the Moment of Truth, Elections 2019. Right. Now, you end the post by giving us a call to action, which is pray, ask God to send revival to our nation 
and then obviously go and vote. Yes. When you talk about prayer, are you talking about corporate prayer or just your quiet time prayer or your everyday conversation with God? W w what specifically do you mean? Do you, do you expect people to put aside times for churches, for themselves, etc., to pray for our nation and uh, okay. what for our nation? The answer, my answer is all of the above. So, okay. you know, clearly it's an important thing. So we should be, as individuals, as part of our quiet times leading up to the election, we should be talking to the Lord Jesus about it. We should be asking for guidance, you know. Uh, when we cast our vote, for instance, uh, it's not a question of how well parties have campaigned. It's uh, what sense we have of God's direction in this matter. Do we mm. vote according to what we think is right, that it's good for him and it's good for our nation. So mm. we need to be saturating the process in prayer. That's the first part. Secondly, I think if at all possible, Christians should gather together uh, in groups or at least one prayer meeting in a group. For instance, in our little local church, on Monday night at 7.30, we've called the church to come together. So there'll be a several hundred people coming into the hall and then we will be praying for the nation, for the election specifically, as a people. So it's private and it's corporate, I think. Is there an instance in the Bible where they do that? Oh yeah, the Bible is just chock-a-block full of it. The Old Testament, when there were national crises or big problems, then the king would invariably call the nation to prayer. Mm. They would they'd call them to the temple and they would, they would pray. New Testament, it's, uh, the day of Pentecost happens and says, when they were gathered together, all of them gathered together of, they, with one mind and praying, the Holy Spirit came and filled the place with tongues of fire, etc. There was okay. 120 people. That was the entire embryo church were gathered together in one place. And are we praying for wisdom for ourselves, for our leaders, for the country to get better, all of the above? Not wisdom for ourselves as individuals, because, you know, that we do ourselves. We, we sit yeah. because it's, we don't have a corporate Logic, vote. Yeah. We have our own yeah. personal vote. Yeah. So what we're doing is when we come together, we're interceding for the nation. Mm. We're asking God, please, to send revival. We're asking Him um, to have mercy. We, uh, we're saying, you know, we understand that we've got ourselves into a terrible pickle. Mm. But we, you know, we as Christians at least recognize that. And we're asking Him to intervene. We're asking Him, mm. please, to be merciful. We are praying for, for guidance for our leaders. We're asking Him, please, to give them wisdom. We're asking for peace on the day of the mm. elections, that there won't be terrible riots and loss of lives and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. Okay, so that's corporate prayer. Then yeah. on an individual basis, I think, you know, you get your early morning time to pray people. Yeah. And you get your chat to God throughout the day people, and you get people that do both. Okay. In any of those events... When does it when does it turn to nagging? I don't think it ever does because I think what from what I can understand of the scriptures and what I can understand of what Jesus revealed to us, God seeks a relationship with us. He wants us to mm. talk with Him. But about the same thing over and over again—that's just annoying. Well, no. Um, point is, for, you know, I don't think we can annoy God too easily. You know, God is God. Mm. 
Mm. He knows our hearts. He actually knows what's going on. If we are in confusion, I, th- I think it's an honest thing to do to be to be talking to him. I mean, after all, if if you were desperately ill and lying in hospital, do you think I'm just going to send up one prayer and say, "Well, that's yeah. I've ticked that box, Lord. Thanks a lot." Oh, yeah. I'd be sitting at the bedside and I would be praying on and off constantly until he got well. Mm. And it would be the same thing every time, wouldn't it? Now, Jesus actually tells a parable about this. He, he talks about, you know what? And he, the story he tells is, there was this person, I think it was a woman. But there was this yes, the parable <laughs> of a persistent widow. Yes. Yes. yes so you got it. So, I mean, and he says, in the same way, if this magistrate is going to listen to, yeah, then how much more will our father... For some time he refused, but finally he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care what people think, this is the judge, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually come and attack me. <laughs> so it wasn't something that he was enjoying. <laughs> no, no. But don't forget the point of a parable is not that we we pull out all the details and try and apply them to God. The point of the parable is, you know what? If the sinful, irritated old magistrate will still do something about it, how much more will God? Yeah, so, so the okay. moral of the whole story is, it's fine to persist. Yeah. Because obviously my, my first port of call is to see what Jesus did. Yes. And I, I didn't read all, you know, 460 references to when he prayed, <laughs> or however many it is, but most of them were... He went to a secluded place. He took a boat out. He went uh, on a mountain top. He, you know, he he just did it quietly by himself, not, you know, with corporately. anyone or, yeah, not 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 corporately. And yeah, fact, yeah. The uh, in some in Jesus was fully God and fully man, but in some cases there's a, obviously a uniqueness about it. We we know yeah. we're not little Jesuses. Yeah, yeah. You know, he was, and is, God incarnate himself. Yeah. So, but he taught on it. So um. when the disciples came to him and said, you know, other other people teach their disciples, other guru, uh, other masters teach their disciples how to pray. Well, what do you say? And he said, well, here, here's how you should pray. Our Father, yeah. Lord in heaven, etc. Yeah. So he, uh, he encouraged them to pray. And then he, he towards the end in John's Gospel, he's telling them, you know what, I'm not going to be with you, but I'm sending the Holy Spirit and he'll be with you as a, your comfort, etc. Whatever you ask me, I will do. Mm. He's talking to them as a group. Mm. And I will be with you. And whatever you ask the Father in my name. So he's, he, he is, he's clearly teaching that one of the things that we really need to be doing a lot of in his absence, physical absence, is to talk to him and to talk to the Father, the Godhead, in prayer. So, where it says, actually, I think it's just before um, he describes the Lord's Prayer, he says that um, when you pray, you mustn't keep on babbling like pagans for they think they'll be heard because of their many words. Yes. He's not referring to repeating yourself, he's referring to... Formulaic praise. Okay. And you hear this in the modern church a lot. You hear people trotting out these stylized prayers. I mean, it's right okay. down to the stylized words. Yeah. They even change the accent. They even change the way they speak yeah. sometimes. Yeah. And he's saying, look here, man, it's not a performance. Yeah, I've got a, a, a vivid picture of a 
of a TV evangelist in my mind now. Well, yeah, I mean, it happens, you know, on the conservative side right the way through. So I think the admonition is, look here, it's, it's not through just vainly repeating formulas and uh, putting on shows. That's not what it's mm. at. Prayer isn't that, you say. Yeah, it's, uh, it's so weird because I want to, you know, have a relationship with God where he is father, you know, he's, right. he's my dad. Yeah. But on the other hand, I hopefully wouldn't come to you 78 times a day and ask you for something. Yeah, but you see, again, the, the human relationships are really a very small reflection of, yeah. of God's relations with us. Yeah. You know, we're not God. Yeah. A and just like that magistrate, you know, we have foibles, we have uh, shortcomings, we get irritated, uh, we have yeah. blockages and prejudices, all sorts of stuff. Yeah. But, you know, as long as the heart is pure, and as long as the intention is honest, and he, will, he will accept us and listen to what we're saying with mm. the most amazing patience. I mean, I've Even after you've said it... Uh, a hundred times before. Well, you know what? He knows it's in your head before you say it. So how many times? Is well, exactly. How many yes. times is he that seeing it or hearing? That makes it two hundred times. <laughs> yeah. So honestly, no. It's we we just got this limited concept sometimes of God, and we we try and project ourselves onto Him instead of saying actually we're supposed to be at least a little microcosm, a little s smaller image of that. Okay. Yeah. It's it's. Oh, well, I mean, obviously, it's difficult to get your head around the concept of God. <laughs> you know, he, he isn't ma a man. No, so. no, he's far, far, far beyond that. Yeah. But, yeah. but loving and kind and long-suffering, and, and that's the wonder of it. I mean, how many mm. times have I said to myself and to others, I'm just generally pleased that I'm not divine. The world would be in deep and serious trouble. <laughs> mm yeah you know absolutely yeah yeah because we're not we are extremely limited and god is unlimited yeah we are partially good he is totally good and like you say we also put all these prejudices and stuff on ourselves so we you know don't want to pray and ask for something because and we didn't and do our and bible study yesterday and yeah. you know oh god i don't want to just come to you every time i need something you know okay so corporate yes by yourself, yes. in conversation, however it is, just pray for our nation to heal. Now, and for revival. Yes. Now, you talk about revival already starting to kick in, or there is, has been a change. Yeah, no, not revival, because I think when revival comes, it's a very sudden and it's a very radical thing. Now, people often think, well, you know... Uh, we already have revival, you know. I've heard people who have visited our church and said, I don't know where you guys are praying for revival, you're already in revival. So, no ways. Yeah. This is not revival. This is a wonderful, you know, the local church, when it's operating well, is wonderful. But it's not revival. When, when God sends revival, a nation is changed. The hearts, the hearts of men were changed. When the Welsh revival struck, the police stations were empty. Nobody was committing crime, for goodness sakes. The, the bottle stores had not, you know, were going out of business. <laughs> you see, I've I've never even heard of the Welsh revival. It is it's probably the most famous revival of all church history. It, oh, it was well. literally a, a, a nation. <laughs> I'm obviously very learned. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it, 
and there have been many others over, over history, but they're all, they're all wonderful and radical. By the way, just to get a little punt in, uh, I, I've just written a book about revival. It doesn't cover oh, yeah. the Welsh revivals, etc., but it, it speaks about the enormity of what a real revival really is. Mm. And that's on your site, I suppose. Yes, I did, uh, I did mention it a little bit earlier. Okay, great. What are we expecting to look for then? What, uh, if our prayers come true, right? if God grants us our prayers and he says, okay, South Africa, you deserve revival, ta-da! Well, but again, you know, here's a funny thing. Revival is not a reward for doing good. It, it's the, the uh, rescue plan for those who are doing bad. Mm. He, he, God sends revival when we're not cutting it ourselves, and it's mm. crucial. It's really mm. important. And I think we in our nation are at a huge juncture. I mean, you know, if things go down the wrong path, if things go worse, we are in deep and serious trouble for a long, long mm. time. Mm. But it can change. But when God revives, when He sends a Holy Spirit revival, you find things happening like people in power suddenly come into conviction. They start making public statements. I was wrong. God help okay. me. Okay. Uh, groups of people break down. They start weeping before God. Important people in, in commerce and industry and all over start falling to their knees in their kitchens at home and start saying, Oh, God, I've been so selfish and greedy. It's but an amazing thing. It, I mean, would it be so that if you don't follow News 24 whatever insert your own new site here that's you'd people who would recognize it yeah it, it, that's the point because it's very dramatic and it's very sudden and it's very widespread a true revival okay. and the people peop, people take notice of it in fact uh, it obviously doesn't affect everybody so a, a good a true revival also has a lot of gainsayers straight away so it comes under attack yeah so you get a lot of the uh, a lot of folk raising up and saying, "Oh, this, this, all this stuff is happening, and it's really, you know, I don't know why religion's coming into politics now, and all this chatting that goes on." If it manages to get into politics, but it might just be all hushed down. No, it doesn't. Real revivals don't get hushed, man. You know. Okay. Uh, I mean, I've heard there's a, uh, I've heard the audio tapes of the man who was instrumental in God's hands in the thing called the Hebrides Revival. Oh, another one I haven't heard of. Yeah. Another <laughs> Thanks, Dad. Hebrides Revival was wonderful on the, uh, the Hebride Islands off the coast okay. of, of Scotland. And so I, and I've heard his voice and it's just wonderful listening to this man and as he's remembering and he, and he says, you know, he talks about the day that God came down. I mean, you know, huh. pic you, you can see the pictures, right? I mean, a wow. graphic designer like yourself would have a ball <laughs> drawing that. But the, you know, and, and the sense of God's presence being so radically tangible in a place that not one person within a church is left un unchanged. Yeah. So it, it's unmistakable. When, revival, when true revival comes, then, you know, the country and the world knows it. Okay, so we must, as a people do everything we can to try and petition for our land, especially around voting. Well, yeah, start off. And you know, around that time. Well, right now is a great time to be praying, but we should continue <laughs> yeah. as, as Christians to, to, to pray for revival. Yeah, you know, okay. We've been, our church, we've been praying for over eight years. 
Every yeah. Monday night at 7.30, a group of people get together and we pray for revival. Yeah. And our commitment is to continue to pray until it comes. I was just thinking, yet because this church keeps on bothering me, I will see that they get it. No. <laughs> no. no. But from the persistent widow parable, but yeah. yeah. Okay. How will we know? Will it be as big as the coming of, of, of God? No. Uh, you know, the uh, a revival of that nature is, is, is beyond the description of a revival. Revivals hit areas, they hit churches, they hit whole uh, whole geographic areas, sometimes whole countries. But, I, Daddy, I, I, I'm not the stupidest person in the world, and I haven't heard of these two revivals that you've spoken of today. Uh, well, just Google, and you have a ball. There's YouTube videos about them. It's, they, they're fascinating. I wonder how many of our... How many of you two people listening have heard of these revivals? <laughs> Because well, I don't want to scare you anymore. I could trot out a whole string of other ones. <laughs> <laughs> Did you know, for instance, we've had some wonderful revivals in South Africa? Did you know I there was a revival? There was something in Pretoria area at one point. Yeah, there's been a revival in the Worcester uh, area, the, around about that area. Yeah. Uh, the, uh, in the past, there was one in a place called Quasi Sabantu in the uh, Natal Midlands. There's, there've been some, there've been some wonderful revivals in our country. But what are the fruits of that? Fruits have been fantastic. Uh, the fruits are often uh, missionary movements spring out of them. Whole church denominations sometimes spring out of them. Okay. Uh, revivals have often saved nations. Uh, for instance, there was a revival under the preaching of John Wesley in England, at just the time when the French Revolution was was threatening to spill over into in, into England. Mm. They were in danger of, of kind of getting the same thing happening. Mm. And it pulled them back from that. So, no, they, they have lasting revivals and dramatic uh, effects on, on people and nations and areas and churches. In that passage where Jesus um, explains how to pray, he, after he finishes, he talks about fasting. Uh, and without going into a big do you, don't you, went, will you, won't you, whatever, is there anything else that we can be doing apart from, as we said, petitioning and corporates and privately praying? Yeah, look, uh, for me, this is territory that one has to walk cautiously through. Mm. Because in the Old Testament, fasting was uh, a, a religious ritual, mm. as was all of the ritual part of the Old Testament law. Mm. But in... It, in, in these times, fasting doesn't occur or shouldn't occur because we are saying, uh, look at how religious we are being. Surely you must respond to this God. Uh, fasting comes out as a product of the, the, the passion of our hearts. So, for instance, I'll give you an example. If something really, really traumatic happens in your life, then it's very hard to eat, isn't it? Mm. So your body responds to that. So a person who wants to set aside you know, hours and hours a day praying wants to kind of walk away from food for a while. Mm. But it comes from that. It comes from the genuineness of the desire to be close to God. Not from a misconceived idea that if I do something religious like fasting, then He'll God's going to... hear gonna, me louder. God's going to... You know, like... Uh, 
like we have in our computers a little Google flash comes up on the screen saying you have yeah. a message. Fasting, fasting. Yeah, bing. It's like, yeah. oh, now I must notice there's somebody fasting. Yeah. No, you know, yeah. that's nonsense. Okay. I don't. I don't have. A, I'm not against fasting, but I am against religiosity in all its forms, including religious the whole, fasting. The whole, the ceremony of it, and the the, the motives oh, are wrong. Hungry yeah. and the whole. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Cool. So, pray in church, out of church, when you're alone, when yep. you're not alone, with whoever. Yep. For revival. Yep. Keep praying. Yes. Amen. Okay. So <laughs> Excellent. I'm going to say goodbye to you and to everybody else. I could else. So, your so post much faster. <laughs> so that I've got some time to pray. This has taken up an awful lot of time. <laughs> <laughs> Have a nice evening. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Thanks, you. Bye now. Speak to you soon. Bye. <laughs> Thank you for listening to Truth Talks from Truth is the Word Ministry. If you'd like to share your views, read up on related topics, or purchase one of Dr. Pebbler's books, please visit his blog on truthistheword.com. And remember, truth talks.